Oh, man, so much to get to on this episode of the National Talkie League. There's a municipal election coming up in Calgary. We've got so many thoughts on who you should vote for, how you vote, why you vote, and telling other people to go screw themselves when they try to interfere. We also break down breakfast. Yeah, no, we actually break down breakfast. We get into a chat about music as well. It's Roger and Dave, two guys with strong opinions loosely held. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Down this road that never seems to end, where a new adventure lies just around the bend. If you want to join us for a while, grab your hat, come travel light. That's talkie style. I'm Roger. That's Dave. Like we say in the intro every week, strong opinions loosely held. And I think, Dave, my opinions are strengthening. And sad to say, my grip on them is tightening in some instances. Excellent. That can only mean one thing. Some good talkie. I don't know, man, because I feel like sometimes I feel like sometimes I wander into the Sean Hannity zone, you know, where it's sort of like uh, the enemy of my the, what am I trying to say here? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Do you know what I mean? I've heard that expression before. Yeah. Right. So, and it's like the, the, I read something, Corey Morgan uh, posted something that I thought was really spot on. And look, I like Corey just fine. I don't feel like I need to give any accolades to political bloggers, but he brought up this thing in the, in the municipal election where somebody posted on Facebook that like white people have to go out and vote for Nenshi to prove that they're not racist. And all I could think about was that's the most racist thing I've ever heard <laughs> or the most racist thing I've heard in some time. It was hilarious. So well, yeah. I read a, an article, uh, I think it was from the Nenshi camp talking about, about racism this week too. So it seems interesting that that card seems to be played now. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we hit the municipal politics button so early and I was here. I was hoping I've done it again, Dave. I was really hoping we could just slide right into this. Maybe talk about the Kingsman, which I watched on your recommendation. Super fun movie, but oh no, here we are. We're talking politics. <clears throat> Let me clip my throat. Yeah. All right. I feel like we're going to go back and forth clearing each other's throat. It'll be the political podcast equivalent of a certain genre of porn, but I, I'm not going to go there. Um, so I have, I have to say, as we come into the home stretch of this election, that it is so peculiar to me that both sides uh, are telling the other side that they're bad people for voting for how they're going to vote. So like the ridiculousness of that racism thing that I just spat out a, a few seconds ago aside, you know, I'm hearing that, uh, you know, in the Nenshi camp, I'm hearing that same thing that like, oh, if, if you don't vote for Nenshi, then you're really voting for intolerance. You're voting with the racists and the haters, which is what I think Nah had said uh, over the weekend. And then, you know, on, on the Bill Smith side, it's like I'm I'm hearing some other ridiculous stuff too. And I'm just, I just want people to, I just want to step back and be able to put up my hand in a quiet room and go, hey, if I have good reasons to vote for somebody, and they actually are good reasons when you don't know the candidate I'm voting for, is that going to be kosher with everybody? Or, or am I still a racist once you, uh, you know, peel back the tab and see how many cherries there are? I think since the election in the States, every election is now going to be polarized, right? It doesn't matter how big, how small. Yeah, I, I got a bunch of that on Facebook too. Oh yeah, no, if you vote for Smith, you're you know voting for the old school PC intolerance kind of thing. And you know, I'm not a big fan of Smith, but mostly because he doesn't seem to 
before anything, as far as I could tell. He hasn't really laid his stuff out on the table. Uh, but having said that, uh, you know, I don't like to be told, oh, if you vote for this person, it means you're this, right? That's a, I hate to pick on the lefties, but that's a, that's a very big left move, right? Oh, yeah. oh, if you vote, oh, if you vote for the conservatives, you're voting against freedom. Like, just <laughs> shut up. That's true. You're either with us or you're with the pedophiles. Really? Right. There's no third camp? I think there's a third camp. <laughs> um, it's uh yeah the thing about bill smith so i'm gonna i'm gonna really struggle to put my vote behind anybody who i believe is gonna just totally cave in on the hockey rink thing and i think that's exactly what'll happen that that they'll elect their man and it'll be like hey you know we got you this cherry gig you're the mayor now sign the paper we're gonna build a hockey rink on that contaminated land and you're gonna pay to clean it all up like Hockey rink aside, there's the green line thing. I don't know if it's necessarily prudent for a politician to be scuttling a project that that's far that's that far along. Now I say this, and I admit that I'm not knee deep in the in the politics or the the progress of the green line. I just don't really seem to care. But I do know that a lot of money came to the prior to the city for it from both the feds and the province. And I think some of that money actually came from a federal conservative government too. So it, it seems to me wildly. Um, wasteful to just scuttle a project that that's far along and waste all the time and the money that went into it just for a short, short-term political gain. So I, I, you know, I want to elect the conservative mayor. I just don't see a ton of conservatism in the so-called conservative choices platform at the moment. Well, the thing that bugs me about the the Smith campaign is, yeah, like you said, number one, uh, he seems to be pro arena. And after the stuff that I was reading this week about what the Flames are actually asking for, you know, they want uh, they want development rights on all the land around the Stampede. They want parking. They want, you know, they basically want to charge people to create a festival zone. I think they're going after the Stampede. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's right. Um, we want to have a carnival for ten days every summer. <laughs> we want to have a rodeo. <laughs> The first week of July. Um, and the green line thing, 100% right. So, uh, yeah, if you go back and rethink the deal, you know that the provincial and federal government would be like, okay, we're out. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, a lot of money to be saved there. Um, not to mention the fact that it's not like Nenshi sat down one day and said, green line, this is what I'm doing, right? Like the, the the consultation's been going on for a very long time. This is the best deal that the city came up with, the councillors came up with. So there's another point that he can't scuttle the deal by himself. He needs a majority on council to scuttle the deal. Right. Right? Like the mayor can't just suddenly decide not to do something that's been voted in. So that's the next question is if this is sort of some populism wave or some anti-Nenshi vote that's happening, are all of the other councillors also going to be – like the incumbents going to be punted out? I, I have a hard time seeing that happen. But yeah. you, know, you never know, right? Like if, if they don't, then nothing's going to change about the Green Line. They're going to go, yeah, sit down, mayor. We don't care. This is what we're doing and we know what we're doing. So you could just sit down and shut up. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's entirely true. I just we kind of feel like the mayor has presidential power in all of this. And it's even like with the taxes, you know, the, the property taxes are, you know, I guess arguably the most important thing in the election to me. Um, but I just feel that there's so many people that, that don't have an understanding of how municipal taxes work or, 
uninteresting even learning. It's just sort of like Nenshi raised your taxes. Um, you know, I, it's it's like it's an extension. It's a convenience of just saying like administrator or like chief, uh, whoever's in office equals responsible for whatever pain you might have, right? So it's like you know, uh, Harper or Paul Martin went to Iraq. Paul Martin started the war in Afghanistan. Like I'm giving shitty examples just because you can't pin any one thing to that one politician. He doesn't have executive power. Now here's here's my knock on this, and, and I'm not going to get long winded about it. But we get a bill from the province every year. They say this is how much you owe us to be a, a municipality in the province, and we have to pay that bill. And so what the city does is then they figure out, well, how are we going to pay this bill? So they tax everybody in the city. And the most efficient way that they found to do that, I mean efficient in terms of like, you know, finding people to pay them is to collect property taxes, right? So if the bill is a billion dollars to the province, we have to collect $1 billion. The city doesn't get to run a deficit and say, hey, we'll get that money to you next year. We got to pay that bill. It's due right now. So if your if your property taxes have gone up, then your beef might not be with the mayor of your city. It might be with whoever handed the mayor the bill. Now, if the mayor looked at the businesses and said, holy shit, a bunch of these are going under and they can no longer afford to pay such exorbitant and luxurious property taxes in the city, we're going to have to find other people who can do that because, as you know, businesses don't vote, uh, so they shouldered the, a lot of the burden. Um, then it's, then they say, well, we're just going to have to pass it off onto the residents. And so the residential property tax increases and it's gone up in some parts of the city quite dramatically. In other parts of the city, it's actually gone down. And in those parts of the city, people don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I look at this and I just say like, it's such a complex issue. So if a politician came along and said, guys, it's pretty lame that we look at a, a house, two houses side by side. Completely different interiors and whole different market values, real market values, not perceived market values. And we tell them that that regardless of your income, regardless of how much infrastructure you use on a daily basis, you each owe us $250 a month. Pay up. We owe that money to the province. If a mayor came along and said that's regressive and frankly harmful to a lot of Calgarians, what we need is the ability to tax people in a more efficient manner. Um, what would you do to that person? Would you say, hey, yeah, good call, actually. That would keep our property taxes in check. Or would you instead say, no new taxes, Nenshi? <laughs> well, and it's so ridiculous, too, because the other thing that, that Smith is talking about is, oh, yeah, no, business taxes are way too high. So we're going to tr- increase business in Calgary by lowering business taxes, which, hey, that sounds great. It'd be great to have more businesses rolling into town. But guess what happens? You just, you, I mean, you just gave away the plot, but there's only two <laughs> sources of, pro- of property taxes in the city. One of them is business. Guess what the other one is? <laughs> See, it's so true. I mean, it's your taxes and that's what's going to go up if these business taxes go along. So for anybody who's sitting there saying, oh, and then she's spending all our money. Screw these property tax increases. I'm voting Smith. Guess what, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, what's he going to do? Like, so aside from the, how he has, uh, the options he has to collect taxes, what's he going to do when the bill comes in? Is he just going to like immediately create a, about a million properties so that we can have a million more property taxpayers? By the way, that would make the overall tax bill go up, you see. But, it, you know, it, it's, it's sort of weird. Like, I'm not, I don't mean to come off like I'm raw, raw, Nancy. I'll shit can him in just a second if you want. Um, 
but you know, like this idea that, Hey, if we stopped building out and I'm not going to call this urban sprawl, but the idea that if we stopped building out and we started moving out, we'd have more efficient land use. We could have more efficient land use. And then that could collectively, like if we did that enough and we stuck with a plan that could ease that tax burden over time. But that's not like these are these, it's one of the nuances of the conversation and people just don't want to have that part of the conversation. I'm like everybody else, dude, that lives in the suburbs and chose to buy there. Like I like my space. You know, I don't want to live in a vinyl sided house right next to, well, hang on, that happens in the suburbs. But, you know, I like my space. I like the fact that when I'm looking out my bathroom window, I can't see in my neighbor's bathroom window. I like that. You know, I like having it. I bought a house, had a yard so I could have people over. We could sit around a fire pit. My dog could run around. Like these are the values that I have, right? And so I get it. But I also get that like it's bloody expensive and you can't pass the, the, uh, the cost of building neighborhoods like this onto the rest of Calgarians. It's not fair. That's why when they, you know, work to end that subsidy and just said to the builders, like, look, you got to pay, work it into the price of your houses. People thought that that was unfair. I thought, I thought it was absurd that people thought that that was unfair. Well, and again, Nenshi is the guy who's saying, Hey, we need to increase density, you know, and he was the guy who made that developer thing go away. So uh, then the developers decided to hire their own candidates. <laughs> Well, you know, the developers, they, they, they give money to every candidate though. Like I, I haven't checked the donor list. I remember when Barb Higgins was running and uh, I had a little toe to toe with her on the radio. I checked her donor list and I compared it to the other guys, Rick McIver and, and I had Nancy and uh, I can't remember. There's a fourth one that I picked, which was clearly a waste of time. But anyway, um, they they all had the same names on them. The same home builders and the same big people were, were putting cash down on every single candidate. And I guess you just want to, you know, it's like the Kentucky Derby, right? If you bet on the horse, you're going to win the race. I bet on every horse, you're going to win the race. So you just want to pick the winner so that you can say that you did. So tell me, uh, I'm reading this article about uh, Jay Westman. Did you read about this? Yep. Uh, and so he, uh, what he's done is basically uh, sent out an email to, to all of his uh, staff and said, uh, here's who I would pick for mayor. And here's who I would pick for, uh, you know, the council in every ward and all of the school board seats. So basically, this is who I approve of people who work for me. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not speaking specifically about him, but this has happened before in other yeah. companies and that kind of thing. Yeah, like the Canadian media, the Canadian what's media that? guild, the journalist of the CBC, for example. <laughs> um, what's my take on that? Yeah, how do you feel about? about your boss telling you who to vote for. So I want to know, here's what I want. I want to read the memo because I want to know if at the end of it, it says um, vote for who I told you to, or I will fire you summarily. <laughs> right. Cause I'm pretty sure it doesn't go that far, but it's kind of like, I remember hearing Dennis Miller one time joke on the, on the air when he had his talk radio show. Awesome stuff. Um, that, you know, you go through, if you're like the CEO of the tech company or the big company in California, you go through the parking lot and you look at all the Obama stickers. Those are the people you want to fire. <laughs> and I was just like, that's pretty funny because, you know, I, I, I look at what Jay Westman did there and I think he's kind of – in a way, he's thinking to himself, look, I built this company and yeah, I'm really rich. But I pay a lot of the people. Actually, I pay 100% of the people that work for me. And the better we do, the better I do and the better they do. The more we can grow and the more stuff we can do. And he's a pretty good philanthropist too. So – I kind of look at an email like that and I say, hey, are you surprised that a guy who's done really well in business has a candidate that he'd like to see win? And B, is it so wrong that a man who like owns a company 
wants to use his email to send an email to the people that work for him that says, hey, I don't know what you guys are going to do. Your, val- your ballots are secret, but here's what I would do. I think uh, your first point, I think I'm not surprised. I think <laughs> your second point, I don't know. It makes me a little uncomfortable. It's a little bit smacking of sort of abuse of power. I'm not saying he is abusing his power, but it starts infringing on that whole thing of like, you know, people should be free to who vote, vote for whoever they want. And coming from the boss, it carries a little more weight than just some guy in the street saying, you should vote for this guy. You know, when your boss is sending you an email with a list of names, now you're not obligated to vote. And like you said, it is private. It's just a little, I don't know. It's a little shitty, I think. Okay. So I've laced up your gloves tight here, pal, because we're going to do this. So I got an email from, a, from a, a friend of mine telling me who he wanted me to vote for in, a, in, in this election. He said, Roger, vote for this particular person. I need you to vote for this particular person. So I just trolled him right back and was like, I usually just pick the person with the funniest sounding name. That's who I go <laughs> with. Right. Because I'm just sort of like, hang on a second here. It's my franchise. Now, I welcome him to do that. I'm not mad at him for doing that. And um, I hope that he has he realizes two things above all. One, I'm my ballot's mine and it's a secret. I don't have to tell him if I don't want to. Okay? That's absolute. And two, um, I'm going to vote for, for whoever I damn well please. So, but if someone ever asks me what I think, I'll tell him. And sometimes I don't need them to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I agree with all of that, 100%. My problem comes when it's your boss that's telling you. Okay. But there's a- because you have a, you know, you have a, he has a financial hold over you in a way. And you're 100%, you're right. There's no obligation to vote. It's just that it's, you know, he's just trying to influence you a little bit. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Everybody's trying to influence you though, man. Like, have you not been on Facebook in the past month? Oh, no, no. I'm, and I get that. <laughs> I think maybe your boss is the one person who shouldn't, I guess, is maybe what I'm trying to say. See, but I think now you've got the option to just go in there and be like, oh, yeah, boss, I totally voted for. For uh, who you told me, absolutely. First thing, I got up early actually, and I uh, still made it in for a full shift that day too. By the way, boss, when in reality you voted for Lenin or whatever. Uh, Nelson, I uh, checked through the voting rolls, and uh, there were fewer people that voted for that candidate in your ward, so that I could prove that you didn't vote for him. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you, boss. You go through that. Uh, go through oh. box 183, boss. You're going to see a, a ballot in there that with a with an X right beside the name of that candidate you told me to vote for. Well, I have that ballot box. <laughs> I have your voting slip as well as the hidden camera I placed in the voting booth. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a it's a soft disgust because, uh, yeah, there's no obligation. You can't make those people do that kind of thing. Uh, he also sent an early email asking people to contribute to Smith's uh, uh, campaign financially, and I'm just like. Yeah, I, I, I do that. That's the one I think is really is really shady. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of like I wonder how many of his employees are like, screw you. <laughs> you know, you don't even live here most of the time. Well, and even if you agree with who he, who he told you to vote for, you should maybe still be going. Well, screw you. <laughs> maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does live here most of the time. I've actually seen the garage that he designed in in Palm Springs or uh, Palm Desert. <laughs> it's. So he's part of this. Uh, this is kind of neat, actually. And it, 
it's in the context of this conversation is so disgusting, but I'll tell it anyway. It's so funny. It, it, it come to think of it. So my wife, she's a freelance writer, right? And, and, uh, she likes to write about one of our favorite vacation places where her aunt lives, which is Palm Desert, California. So every winter we go down for a week, we spend some time with her, Brian, who listens to this podcast. We're going to hook up down there one time, buddy. We'll go for burgers or something like that. But, um, uh, so anyway, she, she picked up this freelance writing gig for this, uh, gated community called Bighorn. Now it's huge. It's a huge community. It's got two golf courses and like really, really fantastically rich Hollywood types live in there. Okay. But so does Jay Westman. He's got a place there. And I, the story goes that Jay Westman noticed a whole lot of people that were building additions. They were going to build additions onto their houses, like a third car garage, basically to put their like really pimping car in, you know, like their collectible vet or their Ferrari or whatever, not their, not their tooling around car. And so Jay just kind of got a little committee together and said, Hey, rather than we each put on a little parking spot, right? Why don't we put all our money together and build a giant garage and we'll make it like a car club. We'll have like a lounge in there. We'll have a garage for everybody's car. It'll be climate controlled and locked and secure. We'll have a balcony. So he did. And it's called the vault. And the door is like a fucking bank vault. And it opens up. Like you go and you scan your fob and the big round door opens. And then you drive in and I think there's like 58 cars in there and they're all freaking amazing. But, um, yeah, so anyway, he did that. <laughs> so yeah, he needs his candidate to get in because clearly he's not doing well enough yet. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, it's, I just sort of wonder, like, is it surprising, right? Like, whenever something happens in a political race, I'm always like, are you surprised by that? Like a guy saying, oh yeah, you can just totally grab women by the pussy. That <laughs> surprises me. Yeah, you know, like that's shocking. But when a when a business owner says, "Hey, I think this candidate's more business friendly," it's like, yeah. And why is anybody shocked by that? Like, what did you think he was going to say? Hey, guys, I've been thinking. Let's try socialism just to see, just to see. So, what happens if Smith gets in? What actually changes? Well, this is. I what, guess it depends on how what, what the new makeup of council looks like, too. Really, well, but yeah, but he's the, your taxes aren't going to go down. And if they do go down, it won't be because of him. That's the thing. So, I mean, unless he wants to really F businesses and say, like, we're going to put the burden way onto uh, the businesses and, and take it off the residents, the residential property tax, just so that I can say, you know, I hit one out of the park for the voters. But the tax bill for the city is not going to go down dramatically. Rachel Notley's not going to look down from Edmonton and go, oh, Bill, good to see you here. 20% discount, you know, friends and family. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, and our federal government seems to be spending money hand over fist. Our provincial government, not far behind with the fisting and the handing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So, yeah, the, the Green Line thing, I think, is a, it was clearly a, a, you know, urban versus suburban play, right? Oh, sure. You, pr- you approve the Green Line for downtown. But you didn't do the rest. Well, and they are going to do the rest of it. It's just that the major cost is is getting across the river, tunneling under the river. And so they're, they want to do that first and get that all done and then add the rest of it. Now, the the one thing that is interesting, too, is you hear a lot of the younger folks on the Reddit and stuff talking about like, oh, that's, you know, it's the, it's the green line's going to be ready by 2027 or 2028. You know, but, you know, for a guy like me, I'm going, oh, so I'm going to be in my mid to late fifties by then. Right? So, right. And if you've got even older voters like my parents, 
they're like, well, great. So the uh, LRT station that's planned to be outside of our, uh, our seniors complex will be no good to us. <laughs> by the time the train gets there, we ain't riding it anymore. Right. The, the, you mentioned, you, you mentioned older voters and stuff. And this just stood out to me. Somebody was on Facebook um, saying that older voters, we saw it with Brexit and we saw it with Trump, that older voters are controlling elections. And I thought like, how this is crass. Like this is actually really crass because old people get, have a vote, right? Like you, you get the vote if you're above age 18, not if you're below age something. And some of those voters, I mean, there's a, there's an elderly person on my block with a Nenshi sign on their, on their lawn. Am I to go and prevent them from voting because they're old? <laughs> well, the stupidity of that argument is, oh, it's like, oh, they're all these older voters. They're, they're influencing the election. It's like saying, oh, all these flame fans showing up to the game making it more red in this building than the other. It's like, well, great. You know what? You know what would make uh, younger voters more prominent in the election in the election is if you fucking show up and vote. That's what you could do Yeah. because old people vote and they vote in bigger numbers. They always have. I suspect they always will. The young people bitch and complain and then 30% of them show up to vote. Well, sorry, guys. Is it because young people have been less screwed by government? You know what I mean? Probably, yeah. Like I've always voted because I've 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 idealized my country or my city or my province, right? Like I, I it's di- voting for me now is very different, um, and and I feel like very angry right now at Canada, and so I kind of want to speed things up so I can get to the next federal election and complain about how the liberals won again. But anyway. The, and this bad dream, this lucid dream right now. Um, so, you know, I've been screwed over, right? So I, I, I'm more likely to vote. I remember when I was younger, though, I voted because like, I felt like the province would be better. Everybody would be healthier and happier if my vote, you know, if the party I voted for came through. So romantic was I. Man, it's not a good time to be an Alberta voter. I'll tell you that. No. Let me shit on Nenshi for a sec here. Okay. Because I said it would. Um, the... The whole thing about him being arrogant and smug is a good reason for people to not vote for him. Okay. So if somebody hears what he says about Michelle Rempel and how like math is really tough and, you know, she doesn't understand the issues. Okay. Uh, and they interpret that as him being like really sexist and smug and dismissive of a, of a rather accomplished um, member of parliament, you know, let alone a female member of parliament because I said sexist. Um then I think that's a, a, a valid reason for somebody to say I'd like a different representative for my city. And if somebody says, um, I just don't think the mayor should be getting sued for defamation, you know, and for, for slagging um, business people and CEOs and philanthropists, um, that that's a blight. And, a, you know, a, what do you call it? A, a smudge on the escutcheon, right? Um, then, uh, I think that that's a valid reason for people to not vote for him. There are a lot of people in this city that aren't racist haters and that aren't even like in the Bill Smith can do no wrong camp uh, and that aren't in bed with business or anything like that that don't like the incumbent for, for a variety of really good reasons. And so it's like I say, you know, if if I stand up and I tell you why I'm voting for somebody, all my reasons are sound. You know, and then you go, yeah, okay, that's cool. You've well thought out your ballot. Then does it matter who I voted for? Because there's a lot of people with a lot of good reasons to not vote for Nenshi. And I really think there's a lot of people who have a hard time accepting that. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you hit the nail right on the head that time. So yeah, if you, if you want to find some fault, that was the big one. Definitely. He tends to get angry and shoot his mouth off in ways that he shouldn't. He tends to pick fights with people for no particular good reason. Uh, the spending issue. I don't know if you can blame him again. It's that city council thing, right? He doesn't spend the money. City no. council spends money. He has one vote on city council. So again, if you've got a spending issue, you should go and vote all the incumbents out because they're the ones that are spending the money. But yeah, I, I hundred percent. I agree. Uh, my problem in this one is I sure wish those people who didn't want to vote for Nancy had somebody better to vote for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you know, you got Andre Chabot. I think Chabot's actually. Yeah. Yeah. Decent. No, he's decent. He's like the sort of the vanilla choice in the election, I guess. <laughs> How racist. <laughs> <laughs> actually, in the context of that comment, might be tougher to get more vanilla. No, actually. Bill Smith's maybe not as vanilla. He's a little more rocky road. I don't, I don't know where this is going. This is a, this is the perfect opportunity to be bailed out by our German. National Talkie League. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Uh, so yeah, so other stuff happening in the city and the province of that. I was just reading about the uh, the liberals uh, have uh, changed the rules about the pot stuff. So originally there was a the bill said. Uh, anyone who wants to grow a marijuana plant at home has to limit the height to 100 centimeters and only grow four plants, right? So I can see, yeah, because someone's going to come and count the plants. Wait a second. I see a fifth back there. You're going to jail. Well, hang on a second. It's, I like how you, you settled on that because I settled on the 100 centimeters. There's a 102 centimeter plant, sir. You're coming with me. <laughs> You broke in the law. Yeah. Uh, so the new uh, the new bill says nope, no height requirement anymore. But you can still only grow four plants. Well, I don't mind the four plants thing, um, but the uh, the height requirement thing kind of like ruins it. You know, like let's let's be realistic here, Dave. At the end of the day, we're trying to encourage gardening aren't we isn't that what this is all about <laughs> in my books it is for sure yeah so if you if you go over to somebody's garden and and you see them like with just these you know they've got four onions and they're all tennis ball sized there's no pissing contest right there but i go over to you know my buddy dave wears greenhouse and he's like look at these onions hold this next to your head like that's what i'm talking about you know that's what this country needs to be about so 100 centimeters is uh 3.2 feet by the way so yeah your pot plant could be three feet tall or it could. And now it could be as tall as you want. Just a quick aside. How come the in Canadian football, the field's not measured in meters? Oh, that's a great question. It is a great question. It's actually a question that should confound every alien. And I bet you that that's one of the things that they look at this planet and they go, it doesn't make sense. Let's not invade. The Canadian football oh. team uses imperial measurement. It's just bizarre. Oh um, God, Roger, I, I really like that. We should, maybe we should start a campaign. <laughs> Change the CFL. Seriously, like 10 meters? You know, oh, it's a first and 10, 10 meters. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, Chris Cuthbert would adjust. He's a pro. Um, so, no, but I, I look at that, the height, whoever, I want to know who put the height requirement on the plants in the first place, because that's the person who has no idea about marijuana. <laughs> what if someone just grows the tallest plant in the world? Huh? Then what? How do we stop that? A world record pot plant. Uh, but that's 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 the person in the committee in the in the government committee though who's not who's calling it the pot, the or pot. or pots. You know what I mean? Well, we can't have people growing too many pots. 
<laughs> of the pots. <laughs> of the pot, you know. Um, so I was a, this is a, a side note, but it's a, it's, it's uh, measurement related. So I was on, uh, I was on the, the Reddit and they were talking about, it was, it was for this game that I play Factorio where you create a giant factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone was complaining about the distance, the distances between two parts of their factory. And uh, so uh, and if you're familiar with Reddit, sometimes they have bots. And if you put in like, oh, that's, you know, uh, 12 miles long, the bot will come in and will convert it into metric for you. Really? Right? Yeah. And uh, someone's like, why did these bots always convert things to metric? And someone else was like, because 90% of the planet uses metric. Um, but then someone else said, but yeah, but, you know, there's sometimes where you definitely can't use metric. Like, you know, the, uh, you know, I would walk 500 miles would be a terrible song if you converted it into, into metric. Right? right. So, so it would be 800 kilometers. Right. So I would walk eight hundred. So someone else was like, "Oh, what about clicks?" I would walk eight hundred clicks. <laughs> That's pretty good. I love, I love that Eminem movie, Twelve Kilometer. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be the man who walked one point six thousand clicks to be at your <laughs> door. At your door. Uh, that was that Tom Hanks movie uh, where he um, was it Tom Hanks uh, and the big the huge guy is on death row there and he's gonna he's. You know, walk. Oh, the, the green, the green kilometer. Yeah, a kilometer and a half, actually, David. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. the green one point five kilometers. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> All right. Okay, beleaguered talkies. Here's your homework for the week. Uh, somebody start a post. Start listing your favorite movie titles in metric. In metric, yeah. So the, the movie title has to be imperial, and you have to convert it. Right. I like it. All right. I like it. Um, the you know, if we're gonna squawk about the liberals for a second, um. The CRA did this really bizarre thing. I read it in the Globe and Mail about how they want to now go after employee discounts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was super weird. Yeah, yeah, it, it is weird, right? And so the second, the first thing I thought of when I read it was like, "Is anybody? No one can argue with me now about my point that we have totally inefficient, like that we have so much bloat in our tax collection system." That the Canada Revenue Agency is now going after people for their employee discounts. All I've said all along is that we have made this enormous, like, tumor of uh, of a collections agency called CRA, and it is so costly. And all these people do now is they sit in rooms and, like, when they're not taking your money, twisting themselves in awkward positions to find more of your money that they can take. Employee discounts. Come on. Uh, it drives me crazy. And of course, you know, they're not going after the Panama Papers guys, right? <laughs> Who have billions of dollars that they've left the country with, right? Go get some of that. That's a one hit wonder right there. Boom. You hit that thing once and you're getting mo- so much more tax revenue than all of the employee, you know, tax benefits combined. That's right. Isn't the finance minister a Panama Paper guy, by the way? He sure is, Roger. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and nobody noticed the fact that he has a, a, a company that deals with employee benefits that would, uh, you know, that would benefit drastically if these uh, these small business changes go into effect. And all of a sudden, those people need to scramble and find some way to save for their retirement. Let's not even talk about that. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, let's not. I try to figure out this uh, <laughs> the employee benefits thing, though. Like, I, on one hand, it, it makes sense to me, right? If you're getting something from your employer, then that's a taxable benefit. So, like, I get it on paper. I still think it's wrong, um, but it's it sort of it, it, like the the weird thing about it, Dave, is that this government is the champion of what class of people? 
That's the working class people, Roger. Yeah, the working class, the middle class. Now, if you are getting an employee discount, what class are you most likely to be in? And that'd be the same, Roger, I think. Yeah. Like I'm telling you this and I've done zero research on this, so I'm fully prepared to be proven wrong. But the um, the guys who work on like uh, – you know the guys that get their own elevator in those towers on Bay Street in Toronto? They're not getting the employee deal on the checking account or anything like that. It's just not, it doesn't happen that way. Are you trying to say that the uh, the Liberal Party is the party of the wealthy? Oh God, they're like of the well healed. They're totally of the, the to do. They're the best one percenters. <laughs> That's the joke. The joke's on everybody, but they're totally the one percenters. It's hilarious. I mean, God. Harper got shit for going to a hockey game with his kid in Boston. He was like, oh, tax, who paid for that? This other asshole goes to a fucking island with the Aga Khan. And it's like, are you kidding me? Those aren't even in the same league. And we're still not – that's not even a meme anymore. No, no, we're not going to get upset about that, are we? Um, so do you think that this whole uh, – with, with Singh being the leader of the NDP now, do you think that happened too early do you think that he should have waited till or they should wait till closer to the election to spring that one? No. Uh, do you think uh, you know, uh, you know, boy wonder uh, Andrew Shears could have benefited in any way from that? This is the thing that that sums it all up to me. Okay, it's je me souviens, like the bottom of the Quebec license plate. Uh, sorry, sorry, what? Yeah. What did you say? It's je me souviens, Dave. It's on the bottom of the Quebec license plate. It's French for I hold a grudge. <laughs> Okay, and it's basically like we will never forget the Battle of the Plains of Abraham. That time we lost a war, right? And uh, I think that um, that the, the 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 voting tendency of Quebecers is fickle. That they voted for the Bloc Québécois, then the NDP, and then the Liberals, right? And it's sort of like if you don't think going into the next election that Quebec's a toss-up, um, then. I'd love to know what you're smoking. Maybe you're smoking some of those 102 centimeter pot plants, but uh, those pots. But um, I think that that the Singh election, I think that it plays really well in 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 Quebec. I think that um, it's going to invigorate a lot of people to to vote NDP. So I really think that it's going to be a fight for the liberals to maintain the kind of support that they saw sweep across Eastern Canada. And I just don't know if it's going to turn into a, a minority government or a majority government. But I think that. Trudeau's really going to regret not ramming through that uh, democratic reform. Well, yeah, and interesting too, because anybody who's thinking, well, I didn't want to vote for the liberals, who am I going to vote for instead? Odds are, I would think you're more likely to go NDP than conservative, unless you're leaning to the sort of the right edge of the liberals. But either way, anybody defecting from a liberal vote to either conservative or an NDP vote both of those benefit the conservatives. I think so. Do they not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any 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 vote that goes away from the – yeah, because the conservative voter voting base isn't going left is your point, no. right? Yeah. 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 So this yeah. effectively splits the vote on the left, which is kind of the simplest way to say it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of strange to me. You know, it's like I, I get the impression that that Trudeau campaigned on all this like sunny ways nonsense and and – told a lot of people who were in the the conservative camp that were disgusted by the identity politics, the whole niqab stuff, and who also felt like you know the conservatives were out of ideas, right? Like they were they were just kind of 
pumping more money into families and, and, uh, you know, just given the, the ramping up the child benefit. And at the same time, they're screwing veterans over, not really doing anything effective on that portfolio. We got the, you know, the dead immigrant kid washing up on the shores in Greece. And it's like all of this just kind of stuff that made the conservatives look like they weren't really doing anything. And along comes this, you know, fresh faced boy wonder, I think you just called him, <laughs> who's, who's singing a sweet song and it's intoxicating and people like it. Um, and then he's also got a few ideas that conservatives can get with that. Those people who are not going to vote conservative go, yeah, you know, electoral reform. I'm actually willing to explore that. That makes a lot of sense to me. First past the post is kind of a silly way for us to be doing elections in this country. And he abandoned that shit. And now he's doubling down on the tax grabbing and deficit spending and you're like, and pipeline killing and all these conservatives who are like, dude, I, you totally didn't tell me you were going to do any of this stuff. Have a right to feel disenchanted. I got a hundred bucks says that one of Justin's ads in the next federal election is him shirtless, uh, you know, uh, chopping some logs. <laughs> I am Justin Drew. Nice. A la Putin. Um, or he was on horseback, wasn't he? Doing that. Oh, man. Shirtless wonder. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel like. Yeah, I said I was angry before. I just feel like we're really losing opportunities in this country rapidly, you know, from without and from within. And it's like you see the the government wasted a billion dollars on Bombardier and now like only to have America and Boeing kind of tag team them. And the whole Energy East thing now, just the way taxes have gone in Alberta. I, you know, I, I look at this at this country that we live in and it's just like, What's the, is there a point really in trying to do well personally in Canada? Like it just sort of seems like they're, they're trying to build more penalties into, uh, uh, in for ambitious people. Yeah. And I, I hear exactly what you're saying here. And, uh, you know, I, I know that we tend to lean a little more towards the right, but I don't, I don't think this podcast is a right wing podcast by any stretch of the imagination. Depends Having said that I'm about to attack the NDP once more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, I was on Reddit and there was a discussion about uh, the job numbers and, and what have you in uh, Canada. And uh, I think I actually sent you the link and said, yeah. oh, if you want to get really upset, you should go and check this out. And basically it was a thread where uh, where someone was trying to make the argument that uh, by uh, basically that the, the job numbers had increased, but at, as a result of uh, public employees being more public employees being hired. And so uh, the point that they were trying to make or someone else was trying to make the point that, well, it's all fine and good. But the more public employees you hire, every public employee that you hire is a tax burden. Right. And I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you can't you, – you, you absolutely need some public employees, right? I'm not hacking on public employees. They do a great job. But if your way of trying to make the economy stronger is by hiring more public employees, you're essentially just shifting more and more tax burden onto people who are not public employees. So if you ever get to the point where the tipping point happens and you cut more people as public employees than non-public employees, you're in a world of trouble. Big hurt. <laughs> well, yeah. The So there's a, there's a notion in this that um, it's wealth redistribution, right? So you collect taxes and then you give it to people uh, and all you require in exchange is some service. Okay, so – that's kind of what the public employee bargain is. We're going to collect taxes from the general public. If you deliver the mail, bad example. Uh, if you 
uh, actually collect those taxes. We'll pay you to do so. And then you will go and you'll spend it on, you know, in restaurants and stores and stuff like that. Uh, income redistribution, wealth redistribution, right? But what I don't understand, and I'm not attacking, I actually kind of want to have a, a, you know, strong coffee with somebody and, and have them explain this to me, is why then isn't just the market income redistribution, right? And by that, I mean, if I open up a store and I'm going to give somebody money, all I require them to do is service in my store. Um, so kind of the same proposition, right? Like I'm going to open up a shoe store you and I'm going to sell shoes. You collect money from people and I'll give you some of that money and then you can go do whatever the hell you want with it. Why isn't that called income redistribution? That's what I don't really understand. And so I think that a lot of people get hung up because they go, well, the guy at the top makes a lot of money. He's the one percenter and he'll make, you know, the guy, he'll pay minimum wage to somebody, but whoever's at the very top of that pyramid, he makes $10 million or she makes $10 million last year. And then that seems like grossly inadequate, but nowhere did we ever talk about the risk that that person had to undertake. And, you know, and as compared to the person who's actually selling the, the shoes at the retail level. But in parallel, the government also gets fat because not only do they pay their own salaries, their own like salaries for their MPs and whatnot, but they also pay debt and stock a treasury if, if they're, if they can. And so they're still like acting as a 1% in a way they're still hoarding some money and keeping it from the public who could use it the most. Like the, the whole thing that really irritated me about Justin Trudeau saying, well, we're going to go, we're going to have a deficit. We're going to run a deficit and we're going to get out of this economic doldrum, $10 billion a year or whatever. I can't remember the exact number he promised, but all I really want to know is why not a hundred billion dollars? Like if we're going to, if it's helpful to run a deficit, why would you run a small deficit? That just seems horribly irresponsible, right? So it's sort of like, you know, <laughs> I don't think I need to explain that any further. You know, we're going to go $10 billion into deficit because it's good for the country. Well, what's the most we can go before it's bad for the country? Uh, $93 billion. Then go $93 billion. Why are you holding out on us? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and you know, to your to your earlier half of your point there, which was about you know the guys taking all the risk, right? Yeah. So the the saying it's not as popular up here, but you know, in Australia and England they have a saying which is "Who dares wins," right? right? So he who takes the risk gets the reward. But you know, according to these guys, it would be like he who takes the risk should share the reward with everybody who didn't take the risk because it's fair that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I don't really. What are we missing in school, though, Dave? Like, what needs to be taught? Like entrepreneurialism, or like did, we learned about Henry Ford and stuff like that. But I think all we learned about was the assembly line. We didn't learn that he was a Nazi sympathizer or that he like wrote letters to Hitler. Like they sure kept that out of the curriculum. <laughs> they did indeed. But like, there's a, there's a good example of a guy who basically looked at the car met the car plant across the street and said, "How much do they pay you guys over there?" And like, uh. $2 a day. He goes, I'll pay you $5 a day. Come work for me. And they were like, what? <laughs> and then they all left. And now for some reason, they're all unionized in Detroit. They learned nothing from that lesson. Well, and I mean, it's not like the Nazis were, you know, not <laughs> making cars themselves, right? <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> I was just so scared for a second there. I was like, and that's, that was the end of their podcast. It was weird. It's <laughs> the strangest thing. I mean, the, the Nazis, they came up with, with a wagon for the people, did they not? 
<laughs> and that was Dave Ware's Marge shot moment. <laughs> that's your Google homework, your Wikipedia homework. I'm just today. trying to work in the Volkswagen. That's all. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. It's funny though that it's like that's allowed to exist. No one's really demanded. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Yeah, it's like oh, you have to get rid of anything. You know, scrape anything that had anything to do with anything. But but nope, the cars were good. We'll keep them. Was that a, a Hitler brainchild though? Like. I I know nah, don't quote me on that but I believe so it's I mean that's that's how it's widely regarded and the Fiat I believe was also uh, Italy's uh, <laughs> That's just too funny. <laughs> we should fact check that before we start making those claims but you know what it's a, it's a loosely held opinion. You know so, salt, salt and pepper by the way we always have salt and pepper on the table at restaurants and stuff like that. You know, yep, you know yep. Genghis Khan I don't know if you know that. Oh. Yeah, he's he, such a prof- prolific rapist his DNA is in 17th of humanity and uh, also uh, salt and pepper. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to go there, Raji. I was just going to go there. It's like canned food. Uh, Napoleon, you know that. Oh, I meant the rappers. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um, okay. Are we, I'm, I feel like we should change gears. Cause, yeah. Uh, no, you think anybody's tired of hearing about politics yet? Uh, I don't think people ever get tired of hearing about politics because <laughs> if they start listening to politics, they're interested in it. It's if if you have them in the first three seconds, then you you have them for the entire conversation. What else is going on in our city other than voting? Well, uh, I have something that's totally like left field, and I saw it, and I just kind of went. I wanted to, um, you know, do something destructive, but I saw this at the Humpties on by the Stampede there at twenty. Was that fifth? And uh, the cloud. I had this flag. These banners out in front of the restaurant that say BYOB, build your own breakfast. Hmm. And I just thought, fuck me. Like, that's what breakfast is. You're like, if you go to a restaurant that serves a breakfast, you should just be able to sit down and start naming the items you want, you know? And a good example is bacon and eggs. I'd have bacon and eggs, please. And then brown toast and hash browns. And then they come out with a plate. And it's not like it's a concoction that the chef's been slaving over. You can see you know, the items that you chose. And that's the whole point of it. So that you can go into a place and just go, eh, hi, uh, two pancakes and uh, two eggs over easy and uh, ham. And then that's what they're going to bring you, right? And so you shouldn't name that. That's not a promotion. That's what breakfast is. The problem is all these hipster diners where you, that have started calling the bacon and eggs like the sunrise spectacular or something like that, or they call their Belgian waffles like strawberry whipped cream mountain. And it's like, stop doing that. Just name it what it is. And then we don't have to embarrass Humpties down the road when they start serving a proper breakfast and calling it BYOB. (laughs) Breakfast is weird that way though, right? Because it's the only meal where not only is there a huge variety of, of side dishes, essentially like, is there, is there a center to the breakfast dish, Roger? Like if you order a steak, you get it with sides, fries or baked potato or mixed vegetables or whatever else, right? right. Asparagus. But breakfast, is there a center? Like there's bacon, but bacon is not really the center of the – is there a center to the I, dish? I mean, you could argue that, that, that it's like eggs are or pancakes are or the waffle is. But no, you're right. It's like for like just breakfast, no, there's no like, okay, it starts with this and then we we go from there. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a parliament, right? 
It's like a bunch of foods come together, a commonwealth, a if you will. It's not a dictatorship. Breakfast is not a dictatorship. <laughs> but lunch, you know, lunch and uh, dinner or supper. What do you go with, dinner or supper? Uh, I like to say supper because um, okay. Snoopy said supper. So I go with that. Okay. So neither of those meals – is that same kind of thing? It's not like, uh, okay, I'll have uh, I'll have a couple of uh, you know hard boiled eggs, and I'll have uh, some carrots, and I'll have you know you, you don't put your meal together that way, right? And do you know why that is? I, I can ex- I can explain this to you, and don't fact check any of this. <laughs> okay, like you go to dinner and you have like a Chateaubriand, right? Or you'll have a cassoulet. Like dinner dishes are named stuff. Steak Neptune, right? Like they have names. And it's because all day the chef has been dreaming about this like amazing thing I'm going to invent. So the chef is an inventor. He takes a, a tenderloin and he wraps it in puff pastry and then he bakes it to perfection. And that's a Chateaubriand, right? That's what I'm talking about. But he made that and then diners loved it. And then they toasted him and he got drunk. And then the next morning he woke up knowing that he's going to have to invent something else that day, but he had to start with a hearty breakfast. And that hearty bre- and with no creative juices flowing yet, all he can do is go, I want uh, eggs, sausage, <laughs> hash browns. And we're good. And that's perfect. That's a perfect breakfast I just named right there. And that's why it happens that way. I just I like you know what I said a long time ago, Dave, in this podcast about um, the challenge is going to any Chinese food restaurant, particularly one you've never been in before. Don't okay. look at the menu and just start ordering stuff, right? And they'll bring it to you. Like you'll get exactly what you want. That should be the same with breakfast. They should not give you a menu. You should just go, yeah, uh, poached eggs, English muffin, ham, hollandaise sauce. Yeah, call it whatever you want. That's what I'm eating. <laughs> okay. I like that. I'm good with that. Just not- yeah, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing. Um, I like to go. Uh, my son, for some reason, I don't know why, my son is fascinated with the concept of the International House of Pancakes, uh, which is now international. By the way, international House of Canada. <laughs> um, so we'll go there every once in a while. It's way across town for us, right? There's only one, as far as I know, it's in the south, way right. deep south. And uh, so we'll go there. And uh, actually, in Lethbridge, when we were on vacation, we went to one. But my favorite thing to do. At the International House of Pancakes, uh, they have four uh, four syrups, right? That they uh, they leave on your table, different colored uh, uh, syrup containers. And so I like to take those containers and I like to recreate famous scenes from movies using the syrups. <laughs> uh, so uh, I did the uh, uh, Don Corleone being shot during The Godfather. I did I performed that scene, Ooh. and then I'll take pictures and put them on Instagram. I'll see if I can find them and put them on the link for us. And most recently, I did uh, I did the uh, the the uh, train steps scene from uh, the Untouchables. Oh, it's a great scene. <laughs> I want to say, who's the young cop who slides in? There? I was going to say Skeet Ulrich, but it's not Skeet Ulrich. Who no, is? it's um. Oh, come on, come on! I know is it, it's not Andy Garcia, is it? It might be Andy. Andy Garcia was in the movie for yeah. sure. Oh, now I got to know. I bet you it is. That's a great scene. And he tosses him the revolver as he does the baseball slide. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, you should look that up. Uh, so while you're looking that up, I uh, I should let you know that uh, that 
that Volkswagen is a German automaker that was founded in 1937 by the German Labor Front. The German Labor Front was the National Socialist Trade Union Organization, which replaced various independent trade unions of the Weimar Republic after Adolf Hitler's rise to power. So we're giving him full credit then, pretty much. Giving him full credit. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Uh Man, I don't even know. I, I'm doing my research part here. I don't even know if it was Andy Garcia or if it was. Oh, it's definitely Andy Garcia. Yeah, it was Andy Garcia. Okay. Because there's only four untouchables, right? Sean Connery, uh, Kevin Costner, uh, the little dude with the glasses, and Andy Garcia. <laughs> Andy Garcia. And Andy Garcia was the, the the cop that they got out of uh, right out of the academy, and he was a crack shot. Oh, so right, 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 right. Yeah. But he didn't even shoot him, though. He's the guy who slid and shot and gave the. Yeah, it was well, yeah but he had his. He had his gun trained on him, right? He's getting ready. I okay. I'm I'm not remembering the scene really well. He had the gun here. What if I just play it here? here okay, that's what we're gonna do. So the woman loses control of, or no? Kevin Costner's helping her down the stairs, right? Yeah, no, he's helping he her. He's, the, he's helping her up the stairs, I think, right? Because they're at the train oh, station. Sorry, you're right, yeah. Yeah, they show up. They're, they're getting ready to grab somebody, and uh, she's trying to get up the stairs with the baby carriage. And he keeps looking over, and it's like, oh, this is going to happen any second. She's right in the way. Ugh. And so finally, because he's Boy Scout, he has to run up the steps and help her out, and then all hell breaks loose. Right. Now – and then there's the two sailors going up. The, I don't know why they toss that in there. It's like these two sailors <laughs> carrying their duffels. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, we just landed in Chicago. I don't know. I always love uh, when you – yeah. I'm not going to get off on a tangent about – guys in military dress so here's kevin costner in a train station with a pump action shotgun in full view <laughs> and these two sailors walk by and they're just like hey fella going hunting or what hey nice shotgun <laughs> nobody seems to care is that two barrels or one so you were saying you're a big uh uh kevin costner fan like a legitimate kevin costner fan yeah i like the kevin costner is this his best movie what's his best movie he was born in the weimar republic in 1930 <laughs> His best movie. Oh, well, you got to put Bull Durham pretty high on the list. Yeah. Field of Dreams makes a makes a good case. Yeah, you, you're singing to me here. Okay, so in this scene right here, the woman with the baby carriage, she's also carrying two suitcases, and she's trying to calm this baby. And like people are like walking right past her. No one wants to help her with her luggage. Like was Chicago in the 30s just a bunch of pricks? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I'm going to skip ahead here to the dramatics part here. We can't it's the best to podcast ever. When we watch The Untouchable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is against any kind of... Does this count as fair use? Oh, the gunfight and the baby carriage going down the stairs. And then Andy Garcia puts his foot on it, doesn't he? Isn't he holding it he, up with his foot while he's lying on his back? He kicks it. Oh, this is so much drama. And the sailors are in the way. Sailor gets shot. This this kind of makes the Navy look useless, this scene. <laughs> oh. Guy's got like a full cigarette in the middle of a gunfight. Puts another magazine in his gun. Elliot Ness <laughs> is out of bullets. Oh, the tension. Garcia tosses him the revolver. Slides. He stops the baby carriage. And then Elliot Ness shoots the guy in the heart, killing him instantly. And then Andy Garcia shoots on, the other on, henchmen. No, they escape. They're allowed to flee on foot. So here's a question now about the baby carriage. 
if it got to the bottom of the stairs, what was going to happen? It's not a cliff. <laughs> it's going to roll straight. Right. Well, it might have jarred the baby out. I don't know. Mm, you know, flipped you, over? Could it have flipped over possibly? You know, it maybe could have flipped over. I just look at what's transpired in the last two minutes of this scene. I mean, this baby carriage is rolling down the stairs, which I think we all agree is quite, you know, treacherous. And it's being pierced with bullets. Like people are shooting. This baby's in the crossfire and bullets are piercing the baby carriage. And still no harm has come to the baby. And Kevin Costner's got a got an eye on it. He's like running, trying to catch up to it. He's got a bead on it the whole time. If I'm Costner at this point, I'm just sort of like, kid, you're doing fine. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember because I, in my head, that was the. Uh, sorry, I mean, in my head, there's a scene, and I, I was thinking it was Kevin Costner and Andy Garcia, where he's like, "Do you have the shot? Yep, take it." But that must have been some other famous. Maybe one of the talkies knows. It'd be a hard one to look up. I think you're thinking about um, slap shot. <laughs> oh yes, you're right. <laughs> Is that the one you think? Shakes, shakes the clown, perhaps, <laughs> with Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> what was the name of the? Or was that with uh, 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 Robin Williams? No, shakes the clown is Bobcat Goldthwait. Is right? Bobcat? Yeah. What was the clown movie with? Uh, that's with, Patch Adams. No, no, no. That no, that's definitely not. That was uh, a different clown movie altogether. No, the one where Rob, not clown movie. No, he's like a children's TV host. And he and there it's there's like he's like a there's like a underground like mob war almost between these children's TV. Oh, hosts. with uh, Edward Norton. Norton plays Ricketts the hippo, which is like one of my favorite character names. Uh what the hell is it called? I mean, people are screaming at us right now. I hope so. That's what helps us uh, understand it. That's what helps us yeah. get the answers. Hey, I sent you a link this week. Actually, I put, posted it for the talkies because I thought they would uh, love it as well. Um. And it was uh, the uh, the story about uh, Bernie Sanders and Larry David. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. And how they were like their cousins or something. They're actually cousins. Yeah. So, uh, of course, Larry David had been playing Barry Sanders. Bernie, Bernie, in, uh, Bernie Sanders. He's a very unconvincing Barry Sanders. The, the, run, the, Barry Sanders. the running back for the Detroit Lions. He's been playing a running back for uh, – sorry, sorry, Bernie Sanders. Uh, I believe I believe Barry Sanders is the actor who was in Death to Smoochie, was he not? That's the movie you were thinking of, Death to Smoochie. <laughs> Damn it all. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, Bernie Sanders uh, was played on Saturday Night Live by Larry David because they're very similar. They're both loud, bald, Jewish uh, guys, and apparently they're cousins. So That's too funny. Isn't that the best thing ever? I love it. I love it. Hey, um, since we're on the notion of uh, talking about movies and stuff like that. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out watching. You're watching TV. Where are you at this week, Dave? What are you watching? Well, so a few things happened in this week. So you posted a, a clip from The Tonight Show, uh, which happened right after the uh, the Las Vegas thing with uh, Miley Cyrus and Adam Sandler. Wasn't that wild? Which was baffling, to be honest. Yeah, and it's the strangest thing is when when um, when uh, Jimmy Fallon introduced it, and he said, "Here's Miley Cyrus with a little help from Adam Sandler." And you're just like, "What?" <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna sing some kind of "Oh, it's time to sing our song." <laughs> totally, I'm like waiting for the Hanukkah song to come out here. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, this yeah, is gonna yeah, be weird. Yeah. Uh, and then a, like a really really it was a Dido song, I think. Yeah, and, and I was floored at uh, Sandler. Just yeah. blown away. I had no idea that he 
he if I really like Miley Cyrus, first of all, I'll tell you that. It's not I'm not downloading her music or anything like that. But anytime I hear her or see of her, I'm I just kind of think like, I think this chick's kinda cutting her own path. I like it. Yeah, she's got the goods for sure. Yeah. And then that that song was outstanding. But hearing S- Sandler croon on that, I was like, wow, this guy's got something. Well, and I had posted that he's both a better singer and guitarist than you would have thought, but that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, no, I was thinking about Miley Cyrus too, because it seems like I believe now she's kind of come back. She she had a couple of wild years there where she was, you know, spending most of her time what licking what, Robin Thick and uh wrecking balls and stuff like that. Uh and uh she seems to kind of come she had her rum springer and she's decided to to go back to the farm, I guess. Oh, that's a, such a good reference, rum springer. Uh yeah, she is. She's she seems to have gone back to the Nashville family. Um, although we'll see. I mean, I think that she might be one of those, you know, I am woman, hear me roar types for a long time. And I, I've got a lot of appreciation for that. Well, it's interesting too. Cause I mean, I, I had, you know, I, I didn't follow her music very much. I knew of her a little bit as, you know, Hannah Montana, when my older son was younger, that show was pretty popular. And then, uh, you know, Wrecking Ball came out and my younger son is really into pop music for some reason. And he loves that song. And then, so I've listened to it a fair number of times. And I mean, you can make fun of it all you want, but it's a, it's a good, good song. Do you think so? I really? Say. I actually think yeah, it's a yeah, shitty yeah. song. I mean, she just belts it, right? The thing I like about it is it's just like it swings for the fences. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. And I think the hook is pretty cool too. The whole came in like a wrecking ball part. But don't you think it sounds like three songs? And they just kind of oh, mash yeah, them yeah, together. Okay, good point. Yeah, the beginning of it's kind of a little too. <laughs> yeah, because the song is like, songy. yeah, it's like I'm kind of hurt and I don't really know what to do now. And then like the hook is pretty amazing yeah yeah okay I, i'm gonna i'm gonna refine my comment you're right the hook is is <laughs> off the chain as now, the kids would say party in the as usa the kids would say. party in the usa is a song my friend that's <laughs> not that's uh that's a tough one i believe you all you uh referenced that song to me at one point put my hands up they're playing my song and know i'm gonna be okay well you were questioning about like you know uh um uh, moving my hips like yeah I do want to know how one moves one's hips like yeah like yeah wow way more miley cyrus talk than i thought we were gonna have on this week's show do you mean Uh, oh this week's show or the entire podcast (laughs) oh both probably both uh (laughs) um okay so we uh the main topic i had for what you watching this week uh was that i had uh uh, my buddy keith uh one of our uh league members keith andrews uh was mentioning to me that he was re-watching uh arrested development with his son and so of course we talked about rest development and how you know every time you watch it you find like 10 new things you'd never seen before and clever little visual jokes or you know audio bits and that kind of thing and so it occurred to me i hadn't watched the fourth season in quite some time not not the most popular season by far a crazy experiment probably a failed experiment i would say but uh so i went back and watched that and it occurred to me that i probably watched arrested development through maybe three or four times by this point it's very easy to just throw it on and and burn through them right and so what I wanted to know was, do you have a show where even though you've seen the whole thing over and over that you'll go back and just watch it through again because it's that good or because it's that familiar to you? Yeah, I shouldn't have to think about this, but I kind of do have to think about it. Um, so to buy myself some time, what's the show that you watch, rewatch the most? And you, you, you're including movies in this, aren't you? Um, yeah, I guess you could throw movies. I mean, movies are a little bit different okay. because it's, it's a two hour versus a, you know, 
three weeks or whatever it is that you're going to take going through a whole series again. Right. Uh, I just finished a rewatch of Justified. Um, and I was talking like a hillbilly for weeks. <laughs> Right, everything's like, yeah, I'm going out to holler. Um, but a fun show, not not a top rated show by any stretch, but it's a fun, you know, cop show if you like guys with guns and breaking laws and what have you. Um, certainly, uh, Arrested Development would be on that list because it's like I said, it's really easy to go back to Seinfeld. Very easy to kind of rewatch. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to watch it in order. Even there's no real flow to most of them. Um, one that I watch a lot that most people probably might not recognize is, uh, Frisky Dingo, which was <laughs> the first show, uh, by, uh, the fellow that created Archer. That's not, I was thinking H. John Benjamin, but he's just the voice of Archer. Well, he, and he's also in Frisky Dingo. Oh, he, okay. He's not the creator, but he's the, yeah, it's Adam. I can't think of his last name right now. It's the name of the guy. Smith? Uh, Yeah. Adam Volkswagen, I think it was. Adam Volkswagen. I was going to say, did he draw it with his invisible hand? That's right. <laughs> Between economies, he made the show. Uh, no, so Frisky Dingo is the story of this uh, this wealthy billionaire who's also a superhero named Awesome X. And uh, Awesome X has this bunch of you know guys in like uh, uh, jet suits. Uh, the Exticles, they're called. <laughs> and so it's the story of this, uh, this alien whose name is Killface comes to the planet and he's got this ship uh, called the Annihilatrix and he's going to power it up and move the earth slightly further away from the sun and, and freeze everything. Right. That's his plan. But of course he, he goes broke before he can do it. And so the whole show is these two characters that are just hopeless at whatever it is they do kind of just running circles around each other. And uh, there's so much weird, funny stuff in there. I think you'd probably get a dig out of a kick out of it. I mean, sorry. All right. I could have that. I could give that a tumble. Yeah, it might be on YouTube. I don't I don't know if it'd be on any streaming service at this point, but and then he also made C Lab twenty twenty one. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've talked about that on the past, and i I still don't really get it, but it's like it's almost found footage, right? Like he took an old cartoon and then just redubbed it. Yeah, C Lab twenty twenty was the was the cartoon. It was like an old, you know, seventies you know, animated show and then uh, got new voice, got Eric Estrada and a couple other people to come in and do voices and just change the plots around and made it about weird stuff. And I suspect they might've animated a few extra things in here and there, but, uh, right. but uh, kind of fun, a funny idea for a show. Hey, uh, speaking of animated shows, uh, have you watched uh, Rick and Morty? Are you familiar with Rick? No, and Morty? but there's all this special sauce at McDonald's stuff going on. I don't, I, I <laughs> it's, which is kind of weird to me. Right. Cause um, I, I, I I know what McDonald's is and I know what special sauce is. And then I just hear about these two guys who are really causing a shortage. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of a fun story. The less I know, the better. <laughs> Do you want to know the story? Yeah. Well, you're going to wreck it for me, but go on. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Rick and Morty is the brainchild of uh, Justin Roiland and uh, Dan Harmon. So Dan Harmon, you probably know as the creator of Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was sort of a fun genre bending show where they'd have a lot of fun play with conventions and that kind of thing. So Rick and Morty, the easiest way to uh, give you the fill in would be, it's a lot like uh, back to the future. If doc was Marty's grandfather. Okay. So it's Rick and Morty, not Marty. <laughs> uh, and so he basically, it's a, the grandfather and the grandson and he takes them on all these crazy adventures, except he's, you know, a, he's a raging asshole. The, uh, the, the grandfather. Uh, and has very little morals and he's been through so many different times and spaces that, you know, he's sort of lost it. And it's a very, I don't know. It's, I'm not a big fan of the show. It's a very sort of cynical and dark and 
everybody kind of hates each other a lot of the time. And, but anyways, on one of the episodes, one of the characters starts speaking off about the fact that you can't get Szechuan sauce, dipping sauce for McNuggets anymore. And how it's a shame because that sauce was so good and just going on and on and on about it throughout the episode. And so then I guess some McDonald's employee in one of the labs or something found a crate of it and sent it to them, right? Sent it to the writers. Wait, what? He found a crate of it? Well, yeah, like it found a, you know, like some leftover, like that they hadn't sent out or hadn't used yeah, or but, something like that. But like from when? I, I have no idea. That's the first thing I thought of was like, how old is this sauce? <laughs> and if McDonald's, I don't know, maybe it wasn't that old. I, who knows? Interesting. Uh, so yeah, or maybe they just made up a new batch and said, oh, we just found this, right? It'd be great though and, if it wasn't available since 1987 or something like that. <laughs> and so now, of course, all these people are going to McDonald's and trying to get the Szechuan sauce because they heard about it on the show. The show is very popular. Uh, so that's the story. All right. They that's did a, a fun episode. That's that a good story. I think you'd get a, what's that? That's a good story. I like that story. I like yeah. how that happened. Yeah. So they did an episode where uh, they, someone accidentally bumped a switch on a machine and created like basically two different timelines. Right. So you, they split the screen in half and they show you the characters on the top and the characters on the bottom. And they're saying roughly the same things. And they're trying to phase everything back together and it'll all work out as long as nothing changes in either of the two things. And both people hit the button in the alternate universes at the same time. And then something goes wrong and it splits into four. And so now you've got the screen split into four. And by the end of the episode, we're up to, I don't know, like 160 different versions of the characters. So they'll do fun things like that. And that stuff I do really like, I don't know. It's just, everyone's just so shitty to each other on that show. (laughs) Just, I just get tired of it. It's like I got there's enough shittiness in the world. I don't need to watch this. You know, I can't think of a show that I watch uh that I rewatch. Um although uh, you know, I was cruising through Netflix the other day and adding stuff to my list and I put Airplane on there. And that's a movie that I've seen probably like seven or eight times. And by the way, which is really funny, um one of the movies that that uh, Netflix suggested based on airplane was airport 1975. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you're, if you're familiar with both of these movies or you're not like, if you enjoy airplane, you're not automatically going to enjoy airport. 19- You'll enjoy the movie. It was sort of based on. <laughs> yeah. And it's just sort of like, yeah, that airport 1975, I think is it's a bit of a stretch. That's a movie that doesn't hold up at all. It's a bit of a stretch to call that a good flick. If you like hot shots part two, you'll like, apocalypse now yeah right exactly right <laughs> so anyway uh but airplanes a movie i could watch again and again uh, rounders is probably on that list yeah, for you rounders is definitely on that list born is on that list for all, you all the born movies and if no country for old men were shorter i could probably do that that just sucks up a whole afternoon it's like two hours and 50 minutes the godfather's like that for me it's yeah. like, i think it's an amazing movie but it's so long so long yeah um i and like you know, when it comes to TV shows, you know, you said it that, you know, watching, rewatching a movie is two hours, but rewatching a TV show is, you know, it can be, you know, weeks. Um, and I can't do that. Like, I just want new stuff, you know? And YouTube has kind of given me a, a, a great out. Like, I can just dial up the carousel scene from Mad Men or the, or the lawnmower scene from Mad Men and watch that, right? I don't need to, um, watch the entire series to, to just get that one scene. And so like when I hear about like new shows that are coming out or stuff like that, I just don't want to rewatch stuff. Like I want to, I just want new experiences all the time. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, for me, a lot of it is uh, if I'm working, I want something on in the background and that kind of thing. So I think for for me, it's mostly that. You know, if I'm sorting bricks or something, I can't pay full attention to the TV. Uh, Arrested Development's great for that because you start hearing a lot of the the uh, the oral jokes as opposed to the visual jokes, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and, a, know, and like, a lot of that show is the quirkiness of the characters too. Yeah, right? yeah. like the boat, the boat that the, the family owns. At the beginning of the show is the is the S E A W A R D. It's the C word. I love it. Right. Yeah. So, of course, anyone listening is now getting the joke because they're not having to look at the visual. But uh, you know, and then every time you're just listening to it and just finding these these new sort of gems that have just been sort of buried in there, and uh, you know, the whole thing with the uh, the Korean exchange student Anyang. Right, right. You're familiar with the character, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and his name means hello. Right, right. So anytime someone says his name, he turns around and says his name back to them. <laughs> uh, so one of the jokes in the most recent one is uh, uh, Lucille, the the mother, uh, goes to jail, and her her uh, uniform number is hello upside down. In so it's like four oh, okay. three one one zero. I was thinking of the uppercase. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. So there's stuff like that. It's just it's so, so many different things. And, uh, you know, the whole thing where they had uh, uh, Henry Winkler as their terrible lawyer. And then uh, then they brought Scott Bayo on as a younger lawyer, right? So right. you got the Fonz and Chachi, right? I like it. The the the, uh, the the show that kind of stands out to me that, that uh, I think is probably the ultimate for this is The Simpsons, isn't it? For like for just like and stuff? no for background well that too because the thing that got me off on my on the Simpsons train was that I think there's an episode where Homer, Homer goes to jail or maybe it was when Sideshow side Bob was in jail but isn't his number the same as Jean Valjean's from Les Misérables Oh that's probably true yeah right so and I was just kind of thinking about how um, you know you talked about that scenario where you're busying yourself with something else and you want to put something on TV and it's like the Simpsons which for a good time in the 90s and early early noughties um, w- was on all the time because there were like all those other networks like the CW and whatnot and, they, and the Simpsons was in syndication most of the seasons were in syndication at that point so like you could almost always find an episode and it was just like a comfortable friend it's crazy the Simpsons is older than both of my children combined wow it's like 30 isn't it it's going on 30 I think it's in the upper 20s or something I can't remember. I don't know what season they're on now Insane. is anybody still watching it is the question I guess so. If it's still on, yeah, I don't know what the ratings are are like anymore. But man, that was a good show. It is a good show. Relevant, right? And uh, previously, we were talking about uh, Big Mouth, and you said uh, you texted me that you'd started watching it, that you were crazy about it. Oh yeah, right? dude, I binged that show. That was a, that's a freaking funny show. Oh, so good, wasn't I, it? So good. And I like how right at the very end, how they really point out, like, uh, I'll spoil it. It's an animated show and it's about kids going, boys going through puberty basically, right? And I thought the funniest episode was when the girl has her period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great episode. Yeah. yeah it was the, sec- the second episode, yeah. So it's delightful. Like it's, it's hilarious, but it's also like delightfully innocent because mm-hmm. it's like Charlie Brown in a way where like something happens to one of the characters that literally everybody in the world has been through. You know, like your friend developed before you and you were all insecure about that or like like whatever. It's delightfully innocent, super funny and shit like that. But then at the very end, um, they talk about how like, oh, we'll never get away with making a show about teenage boys masturbating all the time. Well, maybe <laughs> if we animate it. <laughs> and it's just like 
It's too funny, man. Well, there's one point where he's like, Big Mouth, you know, like the name of the show and the character walks right up to the screen and it's like super creepy for a few seconds. Yeah. The the pornos, the the pornscape episode. There's like the line in that, which made me still it makes me laugh is when the the hormone monster character says, you really need to put the porno down, man. This is something beautiful and you're ruining it. (laughs) Well, and there's one kid in their class who's sort of like uh, sort of autistic or, you know, on the spectrum or whatever. Right, yeah. And he sits down at one point and the, and the kid says hi to him and he's like, yeah, he can see me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, man. No, that show's too good. And it's like the funniest thing about it is I've been recommending it to all my friends, uh, especially the ones with kids, including my sister tonight. We had uh, Thanksgiving dinner. We're recording this on Monday. I told my sister about the show and then I just realized I'm like, oh, shit, like. You're, you know, you, you, if you watch that, if it comes up in your feed, then your kid will see that you watched it and then yep. it's all over. So I'm like, don't watch it. Don't watch it. No one needs to know. Well, and you know, you, you could, you could, you know, you could recommend it to people with kids if they like hearing the C word, you know, yeah, <laughs> if they're okay with that. I have a friend of mine, his wife is a librarian and she loves to use that word. The C word. Yeah. The C word. And I like it when she does. I think it's refreshing. <laughs> um, the episode that I really liked of that show, not to you know grind this into the ground, uh, was the uh, it's called the head push, and it's the episode where they're uh, the kids have a party. Yeah, and his older sister uh, ends up in the bedroom with her boyfriend, and one of the kids and his girlfriend are in the closet and they're watching, and he keeps trying to push her head down. So that she'll give him a blowjob. And I thought it was a really good episode and like a really good sort of modern take on like, okay, yeah, that's not acceptable. And, you know, here's, we're going to lay it all out for you right now. You know, like yeah. that's one where you might want to show that one to your teenage kid and go, just watch this. Well, you know, it was neat because it, it, it really wrestled with like the discomfort of awkward situations that kids sh- shouldn't get into. Like, you know, they, they've got a whole episode where a kid is watching way too much porno at age like 13 or 14. Yep. And one of the lines in it is like, dude, you got to stop this. It's bordering on compulsion. You'll never be able to have a normal relationship with anybody. And you're like, thank you. Yes. Cause that's way better than you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the whole point about keeping kids away from pornography. Is it completely, it, you know, bastardizes what relationships look like to them. So anyway, so I just thought it was like the funniest thing about that show is that it's, it's very funny, but it's not irresponsible or is it? Wait, I, I You're think, a parent. I'm I not. think we're going to, we're going to try to keep our kids away from any sort of <laughs> video porn, but I'm going to try to leave uh, like dirty novels all over the house. Cause I figure that way they can still get the information, but they got to read. They have to <laughs> learn to read at that level to get to the information. So. I love it. You got to get them like Victorian erotica <laughs> so that they also have to like go to their mom and ask, what, what is this word? I don't know what it means. The E and the A are stuck together. <laughs> Son, here's an entire hard drive of porn. It's encrypted. If you can get to it, have at it. <laughs> Learn some coding while you're at it. <laughs> Daddy's glued the pages of this magazine together. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. You know, what's funny is I just found uh, some vintage porno in my closet today. Um, and when I say vintage, let me explain. Um, well, my wife and I were doing what mommies and daddies who love each other very much uh, do together. We were looking for a power cord for uh, 
for a particular appliance in the house, you see, uh, an Apple TV. And she asked me if in the box in the top of my closet I had one of these items. And so <laughs> I said, I don't believe I do. Why do you think it would be in the box in my closet? And she said, well, we cleaned out uh, all these power cords, and I remember them being in these boxes. So I was like, all right. So took it down and opened it up, and it was a bunch of comic books. But mixed in with the comic books were some signed Playboy magazines that I have from like 20, almost not 20 years ago, but like 15 years ago when um, I worked at a radio station, we would have these girls on the show who had been like just posed and they were doing like a press tour. So they'd like autograph their picture. And I always thought like, this is so weird. Like <laughs> you're, you're, I don't know. I, it's a different thing. It's just something that I don't understand. But it's like, oh, let me before you masturbate to that. Let me just write my name on it. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll sign my name on that thing. You're going to masturbate to. Like, okay, please do that. It's awkward. That's yeah. Awkward. What was awkward? The experience I had, or the telling of it on this podcast? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Will this be a good time for me to say my clip is empty? <laughs> uh, I think we're we're nearing that point. Uh, did we have any feedback on the page? Yeah, we had a, quite a bit of feedback lately. We got this guy, Christopher, who's, who's just discovered the podcast and he's, he's running it down. Like he wants to start at the very beginning. I feel like he's our son and he's asked us what Star Wars is. And now we're like, we're taking him through it, starting with a new hope. This is a beautiful thing. We love the guy. And it's yeah. too bad. He's not going to hear this tribute until at the rate he's going, he's probably not going to hear this tribute until, uh, Christmas time. <laughs> well, I like that he's like he's like here's a line, uh, you know. Uh, so here, episode sixteen, Rudy, what are you good at? I'm really good at uh, curing AIDS. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Raj? I, you know what? It's I remember us talking about Rudy. I was just really hot about that flick <laughs> and how it's basically like a grand testament to you know failure. And how great failure is and how this guy didn't achieve anything in his thing. And you said hearing aids, which was episode 14. What is the right way to build a log cabin? Answer. Stop eating avocado toast and buy it. Cabin. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this is uh, like it's like, the, it's funny. Cause it's uh, like some of them, some of them I don't remember. And I'm like, Oh, I should go back and listen to that episode. Cause that does sound funny. And it's the same thing that happens. And you're, you're good at this one. You'll be like, don't you remember when you said that one thing to me? And I'm like, no, but God, tell me what I said because I'm so excited to hear it again. Or remember when you did that one improv scene? I'm like, I don't. <laughs> It'll be exciting for both of us if you tell me about it. <laughs> but you actually do that a lot. Remember when you said this one thing? And I'm like, no, but that was a great thing to say. Oh, thank you. Do I do that in a good way or a bad way? No, you do it in a good way. Like, okay. remember when you said that one funny joke about this one thing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a good line. Okay, good job. I think a lot of the time it's just off the cuff, and so you, your brain doesn't really register stuff. There's another. There's there might be another thing at play there, though. Not to like wreck this, but sometimes if someone I know has told a really funny joke, rather than go like Dave's got a funny joke, tell it, Dave. Right then, I'll I'll be like, Hey, Dave, what, you remember that joke about the the kernels of corn and the and the bucket of chicken? <laughs> and then if you have a positive reaction, oh yeah, and then I go, and then it's like okay. Tell that joke. And if you're like, oh, that that old yarn, then it's like, uh, no, it wasn't you. And then you move on. <laughs> uh, Dana Gould just had a new album that came out. Actually, he dropped uh, yesterday, I think. Or was it Friday? I can't remember. Anyways, he uh, he had sort of a, a similar take on, on one of my favorite bits that I, I like to share with you, which was the whole concept of, uh, you know, you, uh, you you try to tell somebody something a couple times. And uh, if they 
if they just won't buy it the first two times, the third time, you just agree with them. Okay. Give me an example. Like, you're, trying to, you're trying to correct them and, and, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, you remember, you remember this thing? Uh, uh, no, no, that, that actually never happened. Oh yeah. No, no, it happened for sure. Yeah. No, no, that, that really didn't happen. No, no, I'm sure it's a, okay. Great. Yeah. No, it happened. You're right. Right. So, okay. <laughs> I'm just no longer going to disagree with you. So, uh, so Dana Gould's take is this is like, you know, instead of arguing with like, say a Trump supporter, what I like to do is agree with them immediately and just think about how much time I just <laughs> saved myself. And then I eat an ice cream. Isn't that how he ends that joke? I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because then I don't have to talk to that person, and I get ice cream. <laughs> That's oh, man, he's too good. Yeah, it was interesting because I went to Spotify because I knew the album was out, and I started listening to it, and I was like, "Oh, that was a weird like." It seemed like there was a sort of a clip, like so. The first bit is four minutes long. The second minute was uh, the second bit was a minute thirty, and then the third one was a minute thirty, and I was like, "Oh, I get what he's doing here." He dropped you a whole, like one whole bit just to give you a taste. And then he gives you just sort of little sections of his other material. So you'll go and buy the album, right? Right. Yeah. I like that. I thought that was a really good way to go about doing it for sure. I'm contemplating going to Chicago to see Dennis Miller on my 40th birthday. Wow. And uh, in true me style, the first thing I can think of is reasons not to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And what would those be? Yeah, the uncertainty of flying into Chicago in the middle of winter. There's that. Yeah, Chicago's nice. Okay, so that's a thing, isn't it? Then I'm not just making that up. That's a shitty airport, and the weather can really screw you. And so it's like if you're going there for an event, and I can't, you know, I'd go with my wife. We can't just leave on Wednesday or Thursday. Like it would be like we're leaving after work on Friday, and we're gonna, you know, Uber from the airport to the theater. It's cutting it close, man. It may just be a shitty 40th birthday weekend. I don't know. It's cutting it a bit close. It's like, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton showing up for the duel at the last minute, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Coming over to your house on my 40th birthday now. You got to tell me to bring my dame. Yeah, bring your dame. Like, Skirts are always welcome at my place, babe. You know that. You know that, Davy boy. Did you, apparently, his uh, brother. Jimmy Miller is a is like, like a big shot Hollywood agent. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, apparently he's Will Ferrell's agent, and I can't remember who else. Somebody who's yeah, uh, Dana Gould. In fact, was talking about was name dropping him, talking about because I guess they're buddies. And uh, yeah, apparently he uh, he represents a lot of the big names in uh, the comedy world. Judd Apatow maybe as well. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I like uh, I love Dennis Miller. You know that I uh, do. But the uh, I like the I, I saw him on on. Um, O'Reilly one time and O'Re- oh, sorry, Bob, Bob O'Reilly <laughs> Bob O'Reilly yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it all shows a teenage wasteland if you ask me <laughs> um, no one knows what that song is called by the way that's right everybody thinks it's called teenage wasteland but it's not um, and uh, anyway um, same with Baker Street Baker Street's another song that nobody knows the name of it's called Baker Street anyway <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so is Edge of Seventeen. No one knows. What do people name. think Baker Street's called? Do they think it's called? Boo, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what they think it's called, but it's like smells like Teen Spirit, right? Like people know what that song's called, but yeah. they never. First of all, you can't understand what Kurt's singing. It's a, it's a great name. That's why. Right? Yeah, it's a great name for a song. But it's and and you're right. You can't understand what Kurt's saying. And I remember someone telling me, "Hey, have you heard Weird Al's take on?" Smells like Teen Spirit, and I literally said to the person, "How could you do a take on that song? It's impossible to tell what they're saying." 
And then he nailed it, right? And then he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I still, I remember liking the song, but really just being upset by it. Cause like, I don't know what he's singing. And is he saying that this kind of deodorant is bad? Cause like, I just starting to need deodorant and I'm trying to figure out if that's cool or not. <laughs> I don't want to make a mistake. I'm really insecure. I got acne. This is ruining my life. Who is this asshole? Um, so yeah. Uh, but edge of 17, a lot of people think that's, um, white wing dove or something like that. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the same song. Yeah. Edge of 17, Stevie Nicks. Just like a white wing dove sings a song that sounds like she's singing. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry. I was thinking of a different. Um, what, what was I, I even was... talking about? I was talking about something here. I can't even remember what it you was. You were talking though. about Smells Like Teen Spirit. Talking about, oh, so, so Dennis Miller was on Baba O'Reilly. Barney Miller was on Baba O'Reilly. And they're talking about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and O'Reilly's trying to goad him into shitting on Hollywood, right? Like talking about like those Hollywood elites and their liberal Hollywood elites and stuff like that. And Miller just basically said to him, he goes, yeah, look, those are friends of my Billy boy. Like uh, I dig those cats, you know, I roll, I hang with those cats. We go for, uh, we go, me and those guys and dames, we go for drinks at the club on Friday or whatever. Those are my friends. And I just kind of thought like, all right, that's cool. Like he doesn't need to, you know, take cheap shots at people. I kind of, mm. you know, just I learned a little lesson that day. I like that. Uh, I'm wondering if I can share this little bit with you. So when we were talking about Smells Like Teen Spirit, I was thinking about like lyrics and stuff like that. Right. And so I've been listening to this list. It's like summertime hits of the 90s. Okay. okay so it's like popular songs during the summer, during the 90s. I'm loving it. So one of the songs on this list that you're probably familiar with it, familiar with it is a song called Summer Girls by LFO. Um, New Kids on the Block had a bunch of hits. Chinese Food Makes Me Sick. And That's I think it's Fly When Girls Walk By in the Summer. Okay. Sorry. That's the one. So I just uh, I couldn't so- not show off there, by the way. Like, I just totally <laughs> had to show off there. But go on. So I, I've, I've been forced to listen to this song a few times because it's on this playlist, right? And every time I listen to this song, I'm just like, this. the lyrics in this song are by far the worst lyrics any song that I can recall because it's like, it was almost like a bet. I think there was two people in the room. I think one of them drops the first line and dares the other person to come up with the rhyme for it. So if I could, can I, can I read a few lines of this terrible, terrible song for you? Please. And you may know it already, but uh, we begin in verse one. So it starts with hip hop marmalade spick and span met you one summer and it all began. You're the best girl that I ever did see. What would you rhyme with that? <laughs> That's going to have to be me. No, no. It's the great Larry Bird Jersey 33. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> when you take a sip, you buzz like a hornet. Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole, whole bunch, bunch of, of sonnets. sonnets. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, just make it stop. Jesus Christ. This is terrible. Yeah, that was a hit when I – that was like when, a hit when I got my start. It's oh. – you know what though? It, you know, Just get the karaoke version of that and it's actually – it's a pretty fun song, right? That's what people liked. Yeah. And also they're, they're saying New Kids on the Block had a bunch of hits and yeah. this song was like 10 years after that. I think that <laughs> if, if, if it wasn't a catchy uh, beat and that they didn't have that New Kids on the Block call out, that song is just dead in the water. Never even, Absolutely. Never Absolutely. gets pressed. Here's the last one that we'll go out on for, for this particular uh, song. 
and I think you can probably get this one. And this is the other one where I'm just like, oh my God, are you serious? Uh, call you up, but what's the use? I like Kevin Bacon, <laughs> but I hate Footloose. <laughs> what? Why? How would that affect whether you call this girl up? Maybe she's a big Footloose fan. Yeah, I don't know. I do. And it's not just Kevin Bacon, but she likes the whole concept of the movie. You I know, think, is that is? <laughs> I think we need to write a movie, a screenplay around this song, around this particular song. Yeah, where yeah. we figure out like what happened in this guy's life because he he's he's listening to like LL Cool J music on his Walkman, and he's got this tyrannical boss who's basically like, "You get those, you get that floor clean, young man. You get that floor so clean, you can eat off of it." Uh, uh, and, and and don't leave this shop until you do. And then as he's scrubbing with the cleaning product, spick and span, he looks out the window and this hot chick in a Larry Bird jersey goes walking by. There you go. It's just a stream of reference, stream of consciousness poem. All it is. All it is, man. Um, I was going to ask you before all of that, before you even brought up the LFO song, um, if the lyrics in a in a song are important to you. Oh, yeah. I'm an English guy. Uh, they're actually probably the most important thing in a song, and they really shouldn't be. I have the same problem with comic books. Really, comic books should be about the art. Right. I agree with that. But I do think but, that the – But the story – for me, it's the story, right? Because I'm, I'm an English major, or I was. I'm not anymore. Why shouldn't the word – the lyrics in a song be – I don't want to say the most important thing, but that important? Or should they be important, just not the most important? Like, What are you saying? Well, so it's a it's a meld of two things, right? Normally, as far as I know, normally uh, the music gets written first, and then words go to it. Occasionally, you'll have some words that someone finds music to go with, but I think normally the guitar player lays down some tracks, then the vocalist takes it away, and or if if he's the one writing the music, and and puts some words to it. So you could have two completely different things, or you could have something that melds really well together. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so like pop music is not known for having strong messaging or good messaging when it does have messaging. Um, you know, you don't get a whole lot of songs that really kind of bite politically and that kind of thing. I'm a big fan of the Smiths and they were known for, you know, Morrissey's definitely known for taking things up a notch and adding some references and adding some, you know, some biting political commentary into his music and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I can, I can dig a, you know, blue Monday just as much which has very little in the way of actual, you know, lyrics that make sense, but it's got a kick and beat. You can dance to it. Right. Yeah. I, I need, I need the vocalist to justify his or herself with some, you know, with, with some good lyrics that, that weave something for me. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the reason why I think that stupid song you just mentioned worked is because it just reminded people of shit. Right. Like that's all it really uh, I don't, there's some nostalgia in that song and it faded out of existence pretty quickly. There's a reason you don't hear that song on the radio anymore. It's because people were like, yeah, I never realized how dumb this song actually was. I did, <laughs> I did like it la that one Thursday though. It was pretty good that one Thursday. But uh, <laughs> no, it's like the Tragically Hip. I think we're an awesome band and I've got all the time in the world for them. But then I hear some other stuff and I'm just sort of like, there's nothing lasting about the story in this song. I don't care how good the guitar riff is. I just can't do this one again. <laughs> all right. I looked up some lyrics for you, Roger. Here's here's This is basically my argument in a nutshell. Okay, right. So this is from a Morrissey song. The song is called The World is Full of Crashing Boars, right? which is great. <laughs> okay. He's great with titles too. So. Okay. So. Uh, what really lies beyond the constraints of my mind? Could it be the sea with fate mooning back at me? 
No, it's just more lock lock jawed pop stars, thicker than pig shit, nothing to convey. So scared to show their intelligence, it might smear their lovely career. Wow. Huh? How basically saying you guys are just writing a bunch of shit because you because you're scared to you know write good songs. He must have been well loved in the music community. <laughs> yeah, that's those are those are two phrases. Uh, Morrissey and well loved don't really go together very much unless you're talking about the Latino population in Los Angeles. Uh, other than that, no. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's made a lot of enemies, hasn't he? Basically yeah, no, he's very outspoken, right? very political, very outspoken, and he's not afraid to stir up a controversy. I believe he called the Chinese a like a a subspecies or oh, right. like, a, you know, a, a subspecies of mud people, I think was the Wh- quote. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's – is that kind of like the whole double negative though? Is that what he's trying to get at there? It's like, no, it's a double negative, so it's good. <laughs> It's like when I ain't not hungry, you know, like feed me. <laughs> so I'm just looking up the quote so that I don't get my, uh, my, uh, 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 quote wrong here. Here we go. Yeah, you don't want that on your go. internet history. What is yeah. So he's talking the to Chinese the interviewer, uh, for the guardian. And he said, did you see the thing on the news about their treatment of animals and animal wear- welfare? Absolutely horrific. You can't help, but feel that the Chinese are a subspecies. Sorry. Sorry. All he said was subspecies. Wow. But still, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I was like, so he had the judgment to not double down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't mind. I don't well, mind and, branding an entire race a subspecies. I just won't take it further than that. And a lot of people like hate him and the Smiths because he's so outspoken and because he's you know this can be annoying and that kind of thing. But I take it like I read this great review once about you too, and I think the same point holds for Morrissey. So his review was one of these like worst albums of all time things, right? Yeah. And so there were one of the U two albums. I think it was. Uh, Pride in the Name of Love or something like that, right? Okay. Uh, and uh, – uh, or the album that Pride in the Name of Love was on. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't think that was the name of the That record. wasn't an album. So, no. <laughs> What would album would that have been? Jeez, uh, I was going to say Boy, but I don't know you two. Sunday, Bloody well. Sunday? Was that I got it. I got it. Keep going. You look it up. Yeah. Um, and so the beginning of the – the beginning of the review was like – was like if you two wasn't – wasn't as full of shit as they are. They wouldn't be half as good as they are. Wow. That's like, you got to sit with that. If they weren't as full of shit as they are, they would be half as good. Yeah. Right. And so my thought with Morrissey is like, if Morrissey wasn't as, you know, controversial and in your face right. and annoying as he was, you wouldn't give a shit about him either way. I believe it was on the like, unforgettable. makes it him. So. The Unforgettable Fire is the album, by the uh, way. Of course. And yeah, I, you know, I believe that, right? It's sort of like the, the, the controversial character has to be controversial in order to have any kind of stock. And I, that must be tiresome. Like, God, it's got to be exhausting being Bono. I mean, to be that hypocritical and to have to like keep the, keep the level up. You know, every day, like, guy gets out of bed and he's just like, oh, I got to pretend I'm trying to cure AIDS again today. This is just <laughs> grueling. Well, and they, they've, I mean, you know, they, they lasted a long time. They're still going technically, but really what was the last, what was the last U2 album that you gave a crap about? Oh, that I gave a crap about? Well, or that, or that you went, oh yeah, that was an album. That was a decent album. Uh, I guess I'll say Beautiful Day. Now I, I'm going to put myself in this column of people who um, never, I wasn't like swept up by U2. I get it. They're, you know, super band and everything. Um and I didn't really have my, okay, I actually kind of dig you too for certain reasons moment until I saw them at BC Place and I realized I knew like all the songs, right? <laughs> yeah. 
so, and it was sort of like, and somebody actually warned me about that. I was like, I'm not really that big a fan, but I'm going to the show. And she goes, Oh, you'll be surprised. You'll know like all the songs. I'm like, all right. And I did. And I liked it. It was a hell of a show and the fans loved it. So I'm like, eh, what's my knock on these guys? I guess my knock on these guys is, um, that entire lemon album. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I mean, yeah, so there's, sorry. Are, no, I'm, I'm, that's pretty much all I, I have to I say about you too. Yeah. Um, but it strikes me that, I mean, they're still putting albums out, but they're not really, you know, they're not killing it anymore. They're just kind of fading away. They're still bringing out the audiences, but eh, you know. Yeah, it's kind of, it that's the weird thing about music though, right? Is it's like you put out an album so that you can get people to pay you to play old albums, right? Like this whole thing they did with the Joshua Tree World Tour, like the anniversary of the Joshua Tree, that made a lot of sense to me. For them to just come out and go like, Hey, you know, we did our best work 30 years ago. Come out and watch us. (laughs) Check this out. (laughs) Like, I totally get that. You know, it's like, all right, yeah, cool, good point. So I'm actually listening to uh, the uh, autobiography of uh, Johnny Marr, who is the uh, the lead guitarist. The 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 former alderman for Ward 8? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So uh, there's a couple interesting things. Uh, You know, he sort sort of passed the part where he's with the Smiths. I didn't realize how many like really good songs and really good albums he had been a part of. Cause he kind of goes through his career and he's like, Oh yeah, no, I did the guitar on this song. And I was with the pretenders for a while. And you're like, Holy shit. You're like, he really did a lot of stuff, but he's a quiet guy. He's not known for his flair. He's not known for the spotlight and that kind of thing. But there was two, there's, there was a story that I really liked in this, uh, this uh, autobiography. And so he's talking about, you know, one of his, uh, one of the, his brother, I think it was, is working with him. And he's like, yeah, uh, you know, they picked this guy up walking around town one day as a friend of his brother's and he uh, he had given him a tape. And so he put the tape on the pile with the, all the other tapes that people give him and he didn't even give it a listen. Finally sat down and talked to this guy for a little while. He's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of interesting. And so he went back and uh, listened to the tape and uh, and he really liked it. He's like, hey, that's kind of neat. Uh, you know, are you guys playing a gig? And uh, so the guy and the guy's name is Noel. And so Noel's like, oh, yeah, I know what we've got a gig at the university next week. So I'll put it together. Right. And so. He goes over to Noel's house and he's like, the only two things of interest were, you know, the, this fish tank and, and this guitar. And so Johnny Marr goes to look at the fish tank and he's like, he's like, oh, what do you call this blue one over here? And he's like, you know, there's this other asshole, you know, sitting on the couch and these girls are playing with his hair. And he's like, it's called a fucking fish, right? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, you're a real charmer. I don't know who the hell this guy is, right? And he's like, so he, he ends up coming with us to watch this other show and they go to this other show. And then later he realizes this guy's the lead singer of the band, right? Oh, and by the way, he's also the brother of uh, the guy he's talking to, right? So right. you probably figured out who we're talking about by now. It's Oasis. Right. So yeah. it's Oasis, yeah. right? So. Noel and Liam. Uh, so they, he, he gets their manager to represent them because, you know, they, these guys are going somewhere kind of thing. And so uh, he noticed that uh, Noel's having trouble between sets because he's having to restring his guitar because he's only got one guitar. Right. So Johnny Marr is like, oh, I've got this, you know, I've got this Les Paul guitar that I used on, you know, Panic in the Streets of London. And it's just been sitting around the studio. And oh, yeah, here, why don't you take it and use it? And so he's playing this guitar for a while and he's like, you know what? Hang on to it and keep it. And the reason he wanted him to keep it is because it's like, he's like, well, I wasn't using the guitar. It's sitting in the studio and this guy's writing and creating on like all these brand new and beautiful songs with this guitar. It's like, that's what this guitar should be doing. And I immediately thought of our 
or interview with Keith Callback, right? Right. Yeah. Like you're just keeping this guitar from fulfilling its destiny. It wants to go and create new songs. And so I thought, wow, that was really like, and I played it for my wife and she was like, oh, that's really nice. That's wow, like yeah. a nice part of the story. But he'll do shit like that. It's yeah. And then I was in, you know, sitting around at so-and-so's place and Bruce Springsteen walked in. And I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> I love the stories though. It's like the way that, um, one of my favorite rock and roll stories is the one about um, the them crooked vultures and how they got together. It's like Josh Hahn, the lead singer of of um, Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, he's in uh, Eagles of Death Metal. He's one of the coolest interviews that I ever got to do. Um, we were talking about this tour and his record. I can't remember which Queens record it was. But then he, um, we were sitting in a bar and it was like the afternoon the day before they were going to play the Queen Elizabeth Theater in Vancouver. And so I did my like 10-minute talk with him and then um, put my microphone away and stuff like that. And I just asked him a question about the Iraq war because it was like – late 2003 or middle 2003 or something like that. And then he just, we just started talking about it for like an hour and the record rep came in and was like, Hey guys, it's time to go. And Josh said, no, we just ordered another round. Sit down let's have a beer. And so like, we just sat and we talked politics. It was really fun. He's such a neat guy. But anyway, the real story is that what a dick I am, by the way, I'm like, Oh, here's a great story. But first listen to my story. of what a great day I had. So here's the, here's the real story. So it's Josh's birthday and he lives in uh, Indio, California or something like that. And, um, Dave Grohl, he and Dave Grohl are friends. And so Grohl goes to his birthday party and Josh says, Hey, Dave, come here. I got a present for you. And so he takes him into this room and they're enjoying a drink and a conversation is John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, right? And Grohl's like a huge Led Zeppelin fan. And so Grohl is just like, Oh my God, this is the most incredible thing. And somebody at some point says, you know, we should play together. And I think it might've been John Paul Jones saying to Dave Grohl, like, Oh, we should just, we should play together sometime. Just get in the studio and have a little bit of fun together. And so they did. And then they cut a record, right? They wrote some songs and it was them crooked vultures. And then they played the Coachella music festival. And it was like the most unbelievable thing. Um, and while I was there, I, I, uh, found 20 bucks. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the National Talkie League. Uh, I guess, you know, if you're listening to this in, in close to real time, if you if you download this on the Tuesday morning when we put it out or you listen to it, uh, the week that we put it out, then I think that um, we can encourage you to go vote and not be out of place uh, in so saying. So, uh, you know, it is important. There's a lot riding on every single election and don't let the bastards grind you down. Whatever your reason to vote for, whoever you vote for, that's good enough for this podcast. So get out there and uh, do your thing if you so desire. Also, vote for us on iTunes or your favorite <laughs> podcast application. Throw us a little uh, star review. We always say five star because that's what we want you to do. But you know what? You're, you're a free fucking person. Vote no. for whatever you want. You want to give us four stars? Give us four no, stars. No, give us five so that other people are more likely to discover it. Oh, okay. Yeah, what Roger said. <laughs> that's better. Uh, but And then you can in the review, you can say whatever you like. Uh, the filthier, the better. That's true, yeah. Because uh, we'll read those bad boys right here on the air. Um, we'd love that you guys listen, and uh, we hope that you enjoy listening too. Feel free to feed back to us. Uh, you can hit us at uh, mail at nationaltalkyleague.com if you want to do it nice and private like, or go to the website and click on the button there, or you can go to the Facebook. Uh, we love it when people uh, start conversations. That's what we're about. All right. Take care. We'll catch you on the next episode of the National Talkie League. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. 
On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.